coming to you live from Canada. Here comes your game-changing, life-transforming turning point moment. <clears throat> yes, this is the sign you've been looking for. You're listening to Engage City Church. Powered by hope, not hype. Online at engagechurch.ca. So welcome to Engage City Church. We're so happy to have you here. Um, the past few weeks, uh, Pastor Brett... Oh, yeah, sorry. Uh, before we get into the sermon, there's growth track today. So if you are in the midst of doing growth track or you'd like to start right now, uh, Pastor Brett's right there. He's waving. Growth track is what we do to, to uh, introduce people to the church, what we believe, um, who our eldership is, all that stuff. You can go in the lobby. Pastor Brett will meet you there. And uh, it's a great time to meet some new people and to learn about the church. So the past few weeks, we have been, uh, I guess the past few months, we've been going through a series called Friends. And uh, Friends is, we're talking about um, friends, not necessarily just being friends, but friends being family. So there, there's the show called Friends that many of us have seen. And in the show, um, there's a whole bunch of, there's, there's six or, yeah, there's six people that come together from all kinds of different walks of life, and they make themselves a little family uh, in New York, and they, they get up to a whole bunch of different stuff. And the thing that we're kind of focusing in on is that even though all these people were just friends, they come from different backgrounds, they come from different lifestyles, they're actually, they actually created a little family, and they support each other, and they loved each other through all kinds of things. So that's what we're going through now. Um, if you guys have your Bible today, why don't you turn to 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1. If I could speak all the languages of earth and of the angels but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all, the, all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Let's pray this morning. God, we thank you for who you are. And we thank you that, um, God, you are with us here today. We thank you that you brought us all here safely um, through the snow, Lord. And, and for others that are driving right now, Lord, we pray for their safety. God, we thank you that uh, you are so present with us today. God, that you always desire to see us grow and to become more like you, Lord. God, we thank you for your love that, that pushes us to be more like you and your grace that allows us that freedom to be more like you, God. Lord, we just pray that today you would open our hearts and our minds to hear what you have for us to hear. God, that you would just um, be in this place, Lord, that you'd take down walls and you'd be taken down. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So many of us uh, who have grown up in the church um, have heard of the chapter of love, which is, um, which is 1 Corinthians 13. And... Uh, the chapter of love, we should all know that chapter because um, when Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment, the answer is love your neighbor as yourself and love the Lord your God with all your heart. So it's great to know that we're supposed to love God and, and you know, we throw this word love around all the time. I say, um, I love the Oilers and I say, I love not having to work and I say, I love all these different things, but, but this word love sometimes gets a little bit um, washed out. It, it kind of loses some of its oomph because we use it for kind of everything. And so 1 Corinthians 13 um, is the chapter of love. 
I just want to give a little uh, background on this Corinthian church that I'm talking about. So the Corinthian church um, was actually a church that was quite, quite developed. It was, the early, it was in the early church. And they had put a lot of emphasis on um, doing the right things and being very spiritual. And now they would have actually considered themselves as um, very mature and very advanced in their Christian walk. They, they, knew, they knew what God wanted and they, honestly, they thought that they were better than a lot of other Christians at the time. They were dealing with something that we call spiritual elitism. So they thought that the things that, that they thought were most important were more important than other things that other churches believed. So we're going to turn to 1 Corinthians uh, 12, and where, where Paul speaks about the body of Christ. So this is a pretty big chunk of Scripture. So 1 Corinthians 12, 14 to 26. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I am not part of the body because I am not a hand, that does not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear says, I am not part of the body because I am not an eye, would that make it any less part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if the whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it only had one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary, and the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with the greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen, while the more honorable parts do not require this special care. So God has put the body together such that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members, so that all the members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. So today, um, I want to I do a little illustration. There are some of you guys who uh, are getting to double dip of this sermon. Um, but I preached this two weeks ago at the second service. So for those of you who already saw this, um, great for you. And you get, to, you get to test me to see if I'm uh, consistent with my coffee making. So... This morning, I am going to make something. Does anyone know, anyone who wasn't here at the other service, does anyone know what this is called? <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I guess that is technically true. Um, thank you, Johnny. So, <laughs> no. <laughs> it is called a Chemex. I'm just going to switch over to this mic so I can use my hands. So, no, it is not a bong. Um, this is called a Chemex. So, this was actually invented in 1941. And, um, and it has really lasted uh, the test of time because it actually hasn't changed at all. So, to make a Chemex, um, there's a lot of different steps. So, I'm just going to show you guys how to do that today. So, so the first step is you've got to take out your phone and... Set, get a timer ready to go, okay? Now, Chemex has these specific paper filters for the Chemex. These are the only ones that work. Don't go with the non-name brand ones. You'll regret it later. And uh, it's got four folds on it. You take three of the folds and you put it over where the spout is here. And then I have some water that is just off the boil, 95 degrees Celsius. Um, 
don't test that because it could be a little bit a little bit colder. But what I do now is that I rinse the filter. Okay. So that's just to get rid of any like paper taste, um, you know, any any sort of impurities that might be in the filter. Brendan, I know you're very impressed by this. <laughs> it's also to warm up um, the Chemex so that when the coffee's made, um, it is still warm. Haley, do you have an extra cup for me? So, once that is done, you take your coffee, which I grinded yesterday at uh, 22 on a Baruzzi grinder, which, wow, hey, that's fancy. Uh, 42 grams, and you put it in there, which 42 grams is actually quite a lot of coffee um, for, for two cups, but that's why they charge you like an absolute premium when you go to the coffee shop. So, I have 42 grams of coffee here. This is really weird to do with a mic, um, but I'm trying, to, I'm trying to get her done here. So what, what we do now is I've teared the scale. So I have a scale here, I have the Chemex, I have the filter, I have the coffee, I have my timer, and I have my, this is called a gooseneck uh, kettle. And you need a gooseneck kettle because the water comes from the bottom, so it flows out and is very fine how you can kind of like put it into the coffee, right? So I'm gonna start my timer. And I'm going to fill up this Chemex until it's at 150 grams. I wish you guys could see this up here because it really looks nice, but you'll just, have to, you'll just have to trust me. So I forgot to start my timer and I started pouring, so that's completely fail. And while I'm pouring this, I'm also mixing the coffee to make sure that it's completely saturated with water. And... Yeah, very nice, right? Okay, I went over, I'm at 160 grams, but that's okay. So this part, what's actually happening is the, the coffee is being infused by the water and CO2 is being released out of the beans and this is, this is the most important part of the brew. So if you let this part go for too long, you mess up your whole coffee and it'll taste too bitter. If you don't let it go long enough, it will be um, too, oh, I forget. Yeah, it will be two weeks. So, <laughs> exactly. So then uh, at 45 seconds, I begin filling it to 450 grams of water. And then this stops that process of CO2 being released. And it's really creamy on the top. Like it looks like a latte. I don't know if you guys have, uh, yeah, it's real frothy, real nice. So at that point, I wait till a minute 30. And at a minute 30, I'm gonna add another few hundred grams of water until it's at 650 grams. So we're at a minute 30 now. Um, this is a very technical measurement, um, Clayton. So yeah, you gotta go to Chemex school. You gotta get a degree in it. And uh, actually, no, it's something called YouTube. So, um, so that's it. So now I just wait until four minutes and 50 seconds and I'll switch back to my other mic.
You see that? Uh, see that? It's like a drip coffee, right? So why am I showing you guys a Chemex? Well, a few years ago, um, I was not a coffee guy at all. I thought coffee was a completely pretentious thing that was like, you know, these coffee snobs, which you guys probably all think I am now because I just brought a Chemex as an illustration to church. Um, I'm not actually a coffee snob. I still do get vanilla lattes like 90% of the time. But uh, when I'm at home, I like to make a Chemex because it's not just the flavor of the coffee, but it's actually the process of making it that I love. And so, um, so a few years ago, I was traveling with a friend, and we were in Sweden together. And this friend was obsessed with coffee, and he said, Seb, there's this world-famous coffee shop that we need to go to. And I was just like, okay, like, sure. So we go to this coffee shop, and like, in Sweden, everything is a million dollars. Like, we had a cinnamon bun one time that was $32 for one cinnamon bun. And that's like a normal price in Sweden. So they, they were a decent size, but not, you know, nothing bigger than you get at like Tim Hortons. So, um, so everything's expensive there. So I'm like, well, if everything's going to be expensive, I may as well get the best cup of coffee of my life. So we go to this coffee shop and it's kind of just like a hole in the wall. And there's a guy in there and he's got about like 10 of these and there's people in the line and every single time someone pays, he starts one of these off. But it's like such a heavy process that you don't actually get your coffee for like 25 minutes because his, like this, mine's a four-minute Chemex. He was doing like 10-minute Chemexes. It was, it was taking forever. So we're, uh, we're approaching four minutes here. Do you have another cup for me? Thank you. So we are at four minutes. Almost all of the water is drained out of this, but we don't want to take it all, and we just put it in there, and that's it. So is there anyone in here who would say that they have a refined palate? Anyone? Does, any, does anyone friend think that they have a refined palate? No one in here? Okay, who thinks that they like, like good coffee? Who likes good coffee in here? Tim? Okay, Tim, why don't you come up? Why don't you come up? And I'll give you guys both a cup of coffee. So uh, another, another trick with Chemex is you actually have to swirl it. So that's important. You always need to swirl it, okay? Okay, guys, you ready for a nice cup of coffee? You don't have to time the swirl. Um, it's actually a secret of the trade, so I'm not going to be able to tell you that. Okay, so why don't you guys smell it, take a good sniff, and I want you to stay up here, Tim, because I'm going to ask you guys to taste it and to tell me what you taste in the coffee. Okay. You getting some? You getting some aromas, some flavor there? Nice acidity. Okay. That's what it was. If you leave it for too short, it's too acidic, and if you leave it for too long, it's too bitter. What are you tasting? Weak. Weak. Wow. Okay. <laughs> this guy probably drinks black Starbucks's, so that's why he thinks that. Kind of earthy. Okay. Oh, Tim, look at that. That's earthy. Wow. My tongue cannot taste earthy things. So anything else, Tim? Also weak. Okay. Well, maybe I should try this. Maybe it is weak. No, that's a good cup of coffee. They just don't know what they're talking about. 
So you guys can go back to your seats. Thank you for coming up, and I'm never getting you guys to come up for coffee introduction ever again. <laughs> um, so that's a Chemex. It is actually quite good, um, in my opinion, but if you do drink black Starbucks, you probably wouldn't like that because you can taste more than just like black death, pretty much. You like Black Death. Well, Starbucks is the place for you. So what, what the bag says is that you're supposed to taste... Now, this, this is as pretentious as you can get. This is Fernwood's signature blend is designed to reflect the neighborhood. Diverse, eclectic, and inspiring. A mix of dark and light beans provides a balanced cup. Cupping notes. Sweet aroma. Bright milk chocolate. Mellow aftertaste. Origins. Central America and South America. So that's what they were supposed to say, but you know, their, their palates just aren't refined, so it's fine. Um, but when I was in Sweden, I was at this coffee shop and this guy was making me a Chemex and on the wall, it said something like, a southward sea breeze comes over the Polynesian island, touching ferns as it arrives at the bed of the mountain." Creating a citrus sweet coffee. And I like read this thing and I'm like, who comes up with this stuff? Like honestly, I just made that one up so I actually could come up with it. But someone comes up with these things and someone is actually a professional and they can, they can maybe taste these things. And so I'm just like, you know what? I've seen these coffee shops with all of these like really pretentious descriptions of what the coffee tastes like. And this is a world-famous coffee shop, so I'm going to get this coffee, and if it doesn't taste like what it says on the wall, I am not going to care about coffee ever again. I'm just going to keep on going vanilla lattes for the rest of my life. So I wait for like 10 minutes. I'm pretty sure my coffee was like $9 for half of a cup of what I just gave them. And the guy gives me my coffee, and I am skeptical, okay? I am very skeptical at this point, and I take a drink of this coffee, and I kid you not, it tasted exactly like the description that was on the wall. I couldn't even believe it. Like you, I, I was like an unbeliever all the way. And this guy made me the perfect cup of coffee, and I could taste all of the exact notes of the coffee. Now, the coffee that I made today is actually not, it's not, it, there's two different types of coffee. There's called a blend, and there's called a single origin. So a blend is like actually what you would get at Starbucks, where they take a bunch of beans from a bunch of different places to make a balanced cup of coffee. Single origin is, it means it comes from one place, one field, one farmer, and it's all grown in one location, so it should all taste the same. So single origin is going to have a lot more tasting notes than a, a blend, because a blend is just a whole bunch of stuff put together. So all that to say, very complicated illustration, but you will remember it for the rest of your life. Um, but the point of the illustration is that the coffee, you know, we, I had the Chemex, I had the filter, I had the cups, I had the scale, I had this chopstick to mix it with. I had all of these things, but all of these things don't make coffee. What makes coffee is the person who's using all of these things. And in the body of Christ, we can have all of these things, right? We can have all of these tools. We can have the gift of prophecy. We can be able to speak in tongues. We can have all these spiritual gifts, and we can think that we're very advanced spiritual. We can think that Man, God has spoken to me in a way more real way than someone else. Man, I go to these 10-hour prayer nights every week, and God just fills me up, and he does all this stuff in me. But the ingredient that we're missing that brings all of these things together is love. If we don't have love, 
None of those other things matter. If we don't have love, prophecy doesn't matter. If we don't have love, speaking in tongues doesn't matter. If we don't have love, all of these things don't matter. And, and love is the most important thing when it comes to the relationship with God. And that's what we can forget about. And that's what the Corinthian church forgot about back in, in, in the early church days. See, without something to bring all these things together, it's simply a tool that would never accomplish its purpose for creation. Now, I've, I've actually only made a Chemex about like 11 times now. I said 10 last time, so now it's 11. And I always lo- thought it looked really pretentious, but, but once I started doing it and actually being able to, to actually taste those flavors, it was worth doing it. It was, it was worth it. The body of Christ is the same way as the chemics. We have our different ingredients. We have, our, we have the person greeting. We have the person on the coffee cart. We have the worship team. We have the sound guy. We have all of these different people doing things. But if it's not motivated by love, there's no point to do it. And it's the love of Christ that ties it all together. See, I, I made this chemex today, and they said that it, it tasted weak. And maybe it did taste weak because I'm not a professional. And my, my skill with the Chemex only reaches a certain level. That guy in Sweden, he was a professional. He made me an unbelievable cup of coffee. It's the same thing with love. If we're just trying to work on our own love, it's like, it's like a, someone who doesn't know what they're doing making something like a Chemex. But if we're actually tapping into the love of Christ, we're going to be able to, to use all of these ingredients exactly how they're supposed to be so that the right notes will come through. So the title of my sermon today is, What is Love? I'm sure we've all heard that song, What is Love? I was, gonna, I was planning to have that song play while I came up, but it didn't really come together for me. Um, but the, there's an author named Edmund, and he describes love as, Love may be difficult to define, but is not difficult to discern. Paul attempts no definition, analysis, or description. He pictures love in action. He shows what it does and feels and what it refrains from doing. He records the ways in which it manifests itself. In other words, love can't really be defined. It's something that's more felt, something that's acted out. So 1 Corinthians 13, 4 to 7, um, Paul, Paul does try to describe it in a way, but he, he describes it with, with how it's felt. And he says, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Now, I don't know how many of you guys have watched A Walk to Remember. Uh, have you guys watched A Walk to Remember? Yeah? A few of you? Okay. So, uh, I don't know if you remember, there's a scene in A Walk to Remember at the end when, when spoiler alert, the girl dies. Um, <laughs> but she's on her deathbed, and she she's reading this scripture with, uh, with her boyfriend. And so I was going to play the video uh, of that scene on the screen for us all today, but when I watched it to prepare for my sermon, um, a whole bunch of 15-year-old emotions kind of came up, you know, all of those old crushes and everything. It was just like I was weeping. It wasn't good. So I decided not to do that. But, but what is Paul saying in this? He's saying that love is patient and kind, is not jealous or boastful. He's actually giving an antidote to all of the exact things that the Corinthian church was struggling with. When we read these, we need to keep our mind that Paul's talking to the Corinthian church. What's amazing is that um, Paul, a few verses earlier in chapter 12, talks about the different parts of the body. 
And he says that there's some parts that think that they're better than others, and there's some parts that don't think they're as good as others. And what that really is is that's comparison, and that's jealousy, and that's, that's pride, and that's all those things. And, and when, he, when he speaks in 1 Corinthians 13, he says that love is not jealous. He speaks directly to the problem that Corinthian church was dealing with. They desired to have more gifts of the Spirit, but Paul expressed that they were abusing the gifts that they already had. Uh, Pastor Brett said a few weeks ago um, that, something we, that sometimes we use our spiritual gifts as a spiritual weapon. And that's exactly what Paul is saying to the Corinthian church here. See, it's not enough to have the gift of the Spirit and the gifts from the Spirit. We must also have the graces of the Spirit, and we use our gifts to serve one another. When I was younger, I desired the gift of healing. I remember um, I was at this, I was serving at this thing called Porta Vacciarda, and we would be ministered to every day. And um, people would pray over us, and they said, you, what, what gifts do you desire in all this? And, and so I went home, and I was praying, and I was like, God, I really want the gift of healing. And I remember just seeking God, saying, God, I want the gift of healing. I want the gift of healing. And I did that for about a year straight. And, um, and at one point, I just got so frustrated because I would be praying for people, and they wouldn't be healed. And I would, I would just be like, God, like, I thought you wanted me to have the gift of healing. And... I just kept on praying about it and kept on asking God, like, why, why am I not receiving this? And I realized that even though God does desire for us to work in his gifts, he desires for us to first walk out in his love. And I didn't understand what it was to walk in the love of God, in the love of Christ. He told me, Seb, you need to learn to love people before I'm going to give you these gifts. You need to learn to, to walk out in love before anything else. And I remember it was one of the most clear times I ever heard God speak in my life that he just desired for me to love. And we have a, we have a saying at Engage that is um, character trumps talent or, or love trumps gifts. And what I'm saying is that though talent can bring us to many amazing places, talent, talent can bring us, you know, it can bring us so far, but if we don't have the character to sustain it, we'll quickly fall and we'll fail. I believe with gifts, it works similarly. Gifts can bless us in the church, but without love, we will quickly become puffed up in pride. Not only this, but I believe that God is the one who provides those spiritual gifts. And as he gives them, he can also take them away. Uh, when I was attending Vanguard Bible College a few years ago, I, I was taking a class called Pentecostal History. And we were talking about speaking in tongues. And, and in the Pentecostal world, speaking in tongues is like, you, everyone's got to speak in tongues. And our professor was teaching at a Pentecostal Bible college, and he, he was a pastor at a Pentecostal church, and he said that growing up, he always desired to speak in tongues. He said, God, I want to speak in tongues, I want to speak in tongues, I want to speak in tongues. And, you know, he would go to the front, to altar calls, he would, his friends would pray for him, all of this stuff, and it never happened. He was never able to speak in tongues. And, and so he said, God, like, I, I genuinely desire to speak in tongues. And he kind of, at one point, just said, you know what, God, I'm going to lay this down to you. If you want to give this to me, then I'll take it. But if not, then, then I won't take it. And, and he went, uh, and finally, it was, it was a, a little while after, he went um, to a service with a friend that wasn't a believer. And, and the friend went up for an altar call. And when the friend went up for an altar call, the pastor said, hey, if, if, there's, any, if there's any people that are friends, come up and pray 
pray for these people up here. So he went up to pray for his friend, and it was at that point when he was the most compelled out of love, not out of any other desire, that he began speaking in tongues and that he was released in that gift. And that's the order that it should happen. It should happen love first and then the gift. Love needs to be our motivation, not an afterthought. So what is love? Well, if there's any note takers today, I have three points for you, like any good preacher should. So the first point is that love is enriching. Um, a few weeks ago, I listened to an audiobook called um, uh, The Martian. And in this audiobook, there's a guy who goes to Mars and his team thinks that he died there, so they all leave without him. And he's stuck on Mars by himself. And he, he realizes that he, the first thing that he needs to do is he needs to have food to sustain him as long as possible so that uh, Earth can send another mission back to save him because he doesn't have enough food for the whole, whole time that it would take. And uh, he was a botanist, so he knew how to grow things. And one of the things is that he found was that the soil in Mars was actually, it was good soil. You could grow plants in it. It was dense enough. It had a lot of the right things. But the problem with the soil in Mars that, is that it didn't have any bacteria. It didn't have any water. It didn't have, it didn't have a lot of the minerals that were required to grow plants. And so the soil needed to be enriched. And so uh, he came up with uh, a method to fertilize his own soil. Um, and, and he went ahead and he did that. And he, he enriched the soil. And he was able to grow a bunch of potatoes with this soil that was enriched. And love, love is something that enriches all of the spiritual gifts because it gives them a purpose. It gives them the ability to be useful and beneficial for everyone in the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 13, 1-3 speaks directly about this. See, without love, our actions are lacking for the correct motivations and heart behind them. I've seen people walk out, um, walk away from miracles, and, and God has clearly touched their life and, and clearly done a miracle in their life, and they've walked away from that, and they've forgotten what God has done. But what I can say is that I have seen people who have been touched by the love of Christ, and the love of Christ can never be forgotten. So does that mean that we shouldn't use gifts of prophecy, that we shouldn't use speaking in tongues, that we shouldn't use gifts of healing, we shouldn't use all of these things? Of course not. That's not what that means. But it, it means that we need to start with love, start pursuing the fruit of the Spirit. Love should enrich and cause others around you to grow. Uh, the second point is that love is edifying. Edification means to lift someone up. Love produces character, and, and character produces the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5.22 says... But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law against these things. As we grow in the fruit of the Spirit, God uses the fruit to lift others up. It isn't simply about edifying ourselves, but it's about edifying those around us and the church around us, bringing the whole church up through edification. And that's exactly what 1 Corinthians 13 verses 4 to 7 is talking about. And the third point today is that love is enduring. Love produces grace. It bears all things. In fact, love almost makes excuses for other people's faults. And now I know when we say something like that, it sounds, it sounds bad, but I was actually just talking to someone the other day, and, and when you're in a relationship with someone, there's, there's this phase that, that everyone, I'm sure, has heard about called the infatuation phase, right? And it's, it's supposed to go, it lasts from around the beginning of the relationship until max two years is what scientists say. And this isn't just like a Christian thing. This is like 
Everyone, everyone knows about this infatuation thing. And infatuation is this crazy thing because what it does is you see these things in the other person that normally you'd be like, yikes, like that is not something that I'm into. And infatuation ignores those things. So it says, you know what, that's okay. They're just pro- it's just probably an off week or an off month or an off year. It's, it's fine. They're, you know, they're going to get better. They're all these things. And that's what infatuation does. Infatuation actually makes an excuse for another person's failures. And, and infatuation in a relationship um, is, is something that happens naturally, but it's not something that we want to walk in all the time. But, but in, in, in our lives, what love should do is love should actually make an excuse for other people's faults and failures. It should actually give us the ability to step out and to walk out in grace like we've never done before. See, love, love should compel us to to allow people to fail and to allow people to get back up again and that we don't view them any differently. Love produces grace. I said at the beginning that the Corinthian church looked like they desired more mature gifts, more advanced doctrines. But in verse 11, Paul talks about, when I was a child, I spoke and I thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. You see, the early church and us today sometimes desire all the gifts from God. And these are things that we should earnestly desire and seek. But just like with my Chemex, these are tools. These are fun things, but they're not things that last. Children ask their parents for toys. You see, you see children always asking parents for toys. And how long do those toys last? Maybe, maybe a toy, a really good toy will maybe last a few years. But most toys will end up in, in the trash within a few days. And, and spiritual gifts, spiritual gifts are fun things. They're great things. But the Bible says that in 1 Corinthians 13, 8 to 10, prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever. Now our knowledge is partial and incomplete, and even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. But when the time of perfection comes, these partial things will become useless. Now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete. But then I will know everything completely. Just as God now knows me completely. Three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. One of my favorite artists, uh, John Foreman from Switchfoot, he, he wrote a song um, Based on, uh, based on Amos 5.21. And, and I just want to read you the lyrics. And it's pretty, it's pretty intense. It's a pretty intense song. Um, but if you read Amos 5.21, it's just as intense as that. So these are the lyrics. It says, I hate all your shows and pretense, the hypocrisy of your praise, the hypocrisy of your festivals. I hate all your shows. Away with your noisy worship. Away with, your no- away with your noisy hymns. I stop up my ears when, I'm s- when you're singing them. I hate all your shows. Instead, let there be a flood of justice, an endless procession of righteous living. Instead, let there be a flood of justice instead of a show. Your eyes are closed when you're praying. You sing right along with the band. You shine up your shoes for services, but there's blood on your hands. You've turned your back on the homeless and the ones who don't fit in your plan. Quit playing religion games. 
There's blood on your hands. Give love to the ones who can't love at all. Give hope to the ones who got no hope at all. Stand up for the ones who can't stand up at all. So right now we're going through this series called Friends. We're talking about we're talking about friends becoming family. We're talking about um, we're talking about serving one another. We're talking about loving one another. We're talking about all these things. And and today I wanted to just highlight. You know we we can be we can be a professional Christian. You know we can we can have gone to church for a long time. We can you know we can speak in tongues. We can prophesy. We can do all of these things. But if we don't have love, all of those things don't matter. Sure, they might they might look great for us. They might, you know, they might feel great for us. But but are we loving? Are we doing these things out of a genuine love for others? And I believe that that God gives us prophetic words out of love. He does give us these things. And but but if we're not acting in love, we're going to completely miss the mark. We're going to make a terrible cup of coffee if we don't have love. I wonder how many of us today are like the Corinthian church. People that, I know people that are super spiritual, but they, they're super flaky. Love doesn't just happen. It's something that the Holy Spirit produces in us. But we need to be seeking His love, and we need to be stepping out in love. It's easy to focus on small things in other people, to not be outrageously forgiving or willing to overlook the, fruit, the faults of others. It's easy to be cynical and look at the church and think, man, honestly, like, I could play guitar way better than Brendan, you know? Or, or I, could, I could do the coffee cart so much better than those people out there. Or, man, that guy's not a very good preacher. I could preach way better than him. It's easy to look at the church and think all these things and be cynical. But love is what should be compelling us. It should be love that we put a filter. We filter everything through love. We put love in front of everything that we see and we say, what would Jesus do with that? Jesus said that when someone asked him, how many times should I forgive? Seven times? And Jesus responded, 70 times seven. 70 times seven, that, that's illustrating an unlimited amount of times. It doesn't matter how many times someone fails you, you keep on forgiving. And why do you do that? Because we're acting out in the love of Christ, because we have the grace of Christ that pushes us forward, that gives us the ability to do things that, that we couldn't do on our own. I can't do it on my own. Brendan can't do it on his own. None of us can do it on our own. It's only the love of Christ that will allow us to do this. But another thing that we do sometimes is that, like the Corinthian churches, we look at our own gifts, we look at the things that we have to offer, and we compare them with other people. And we say, man, like, you know, I can't play keys like Christy can. All I can do is mop. And we might say, man, her gift is so much better than, than my gift to be able to mop. But the reality is, both of the gifts are just as important. First Corinthians says, the, if the feet said, I want to be the eye, it, it won't work. If we're all one part, it won't work. We all need to be separate parts, and we all need to be working out of love. So why don't we stand this morning? I just believe that, that today, every single one of us just needs a touch of the love of Christ. And, and you know, 
sometimes we don't even see these things. Sometimes, sometimes there's pride that's clouding, clouding what we see in ourselves. And, and Christ wants to reveal those things to us. And he wants to, he wants to give us the ability to love like we've never had before. And so I just want to sing this song a few times. I just want to sing this song a few times. And as we're singing this song, why don't we just ask God to speak to us, to, to reveal things in our lives, to, to correct any faults that we might have, and that his love would be so present in us that, that as we go out today and as we go out through this week and as we go out through this year, that people would see us by our love, not by our gifts, not by our talents, not by any of these things, but that it would be the love of Christ that people see in us. Church. If you like what you heard, check out engagechurch.ca.